All right, good day, good evening, happy Monday, because that's when we're recording this. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another Live the Fuel show. So today, or the evening, uh, where my guest co-host is at, uh, you're going to be listening to somebody from a few hours away. And uh, that's what I love about podcasting. I never know where I'm going to connect with who, from what time zone, what country, etc. cetera. Uh, but let's cut to the chase, ladies and gentlemen. She's coming on the show because, well, one of those wonderful podcasting agencies got us connected, and it's a far cry from where I was five years ago when I had to track down all my own guest co-hosts. But now the fun game is having my team sort through all of the said co-hosts. So I make sure you guys only get the best. So that being said, she might know a little bit about coaching. She might know a little bit. I love this little term, a uh, working as a courage catalyst. Um, Those are fun words that I'm definitely going to dwell on today because I love the word catalyst. It actually comes up in industries that I work with all the time. Um, But ladies and gentlemen, it's all about becoming a better, stronger person, right? This show is about health, business, and lifestyle. I made it a passion of mine to tie the three together because most people are struggling in one of those three domains or all, depending on uh, how much you're struggling in the world. So she knows about coaching. She's an NLP practitioner, which I'm a fan of. I've had multiple NLPs on here. I've even thought about getting into it. It seems like fun. Maybe she could tell us more about that as well. And uh, But again, ladies and gentlemen, just because you're all about business doesn't mean you can't talk about health. You can't talk about psychology. You could talk about lifestyle. Let's tie it all together. All right? So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Naomi, Natan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited about being here. And again, so you're five hours, right? That's that's normal. I mean, we just had a time zone change here. Do you guys do the time zone change thing there? Yeah, we do it a few weeks before. It is, and it's a mess. There's like three, two, three weeks where it's a total mess with North America, Europe connection, and you just let's pause on that. What makes it a mess for you? (laughs) I, I let's let's stop talking about me. Let's talk about you. What makes it a mess over there? Because I got to know. Well, it's a mess no matter what side, because in 2014, we'd moved to St. Louis for a year, St. Louis, Missouri. And when I was I'm there, for three, <laughs> no offense <laughs> to the Missourians. So. We met some very lovely people, but it's quite a contrast now living in Oxford, I have to say. Um, very different places. <laughs> so when I was living there for those three weeks, all the appointments were wrong. Like I was, uh, I think, an hour late or an hour early. I can't remember. And the same happened recently. So a few weeks ago, I sent a North American client of mine an appointment. And he's like, well, you sent the wrong time. I was like, no, I sent the right time. He's like, it is wrong. And I was like, what's up? <laughs> and then I was like, oh, that thing that they said they were going to stop with the time change thing and now it's still going on and it's not synchronized globally like what i would love to see that in our lifetime uh, only because thanks to modern science engineering i mean everything i i, I said before we hit record today that i grew up on a farm i didn't get it back then okay they're all about like oh you got to maximize the amount of daytime hours for the growth of crops yada 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 okay or we got hydroponics now we've got we got People building warehouses and growing everything indoors thanks to modern engineering and light technology with ultraviolet lighting and all this stuff. So it's like, technically, I could take the entire world's crops, dig a bunch of bunkers underground, and continue growing them thanks to technology. So let's just throw that out there. So, And most big farmers I've talked to, uh, just through my world of connections, they don't care about the time zone. 
it's like, okay, or the, the whole time change thing, daylight savings time, this, that, and the other. So that's why I brought it up because as you and I are recording, we just went through one of those. And, and you are right. It is frustrating because I was just promoting technology, but technology can also fail us because, oh, okay, Google Calendar's got it. It's just going to automatically sync and change and everything else. And it's like, no, it doesn't do that. It does that when I, when I fly over to, uh, I was in a trade show earlier this year in, Actually, it was in Las Vegas in Nevada. And the fun thing about that area of the country here in the USA is I used to live in Arizona when I was a firefighter years ago. And Arizona, some parts of Arizona does the time change thing and some don't. So even though I'm in the state, depending on where I'm in the state, they could have done the time change. It's just, it's just silly. <laughs> Let's retire. Very confusing. Let's just throw that out there. <laughs> so if anybody's listening to this right now you're and you're on our bandwagon, uh, feel free to tweet me or, or tag or DM me because I, I think we got to get another one of those petitions going or something like that. Uh, but obviously, that is not what you care about. That's not how you impact people. And I just thought that was fun to start the show off with. So let's dive into something I just said in your intro. Besides being a you know very experienced leadership coach, you, I love right in the beginning of your bio and your background, the courage catalyst. Okay, mm-hmm. let's go with that. I like it. What's what? What made you toss those words together? Well, I didn't realize this for years and years and years. And actually, I think the first time I really owned it and realized it was when a fellow coach of mine, who I respect dearly, he's now a a, a dear friend of mine. At one stage, he was my supervisor. Then. Um, I did a few sessions where he was more the client and we've been co-facilitating and worked alongside each other. And he at one stage said to me, I remember him phoning me and he says, you know what I'm doing? I'm out here on the street. I think it's called canvassing, like alongside political candidates in London, knocking doors, trying to get votes for these candidates. Oh, they and do that here. My yeah. whole body is full of fear, but you have a lot to do with me doing it anyway and finding the courage to do this. And I was like, I do? He was like, yes, you do. And I do remember then several conversations because I tend to, whenever I meet someone or coach someone, who I think you have great values, you have something to say, you have integrity. I tend to go, hey, why don't you go into politics? Because I think that um, every country I'm in, there would be great to have some different kinds of politicians. And particularly when people have great values, I was like, hey, why don't you go into politics? And so in every way I can, sort of I try to sneak it in. It's like a little hidden, not so secret agenda that I put in whenever I feel it's relevant. And him reflecting that back to me, that was the first time I really realized that, yeah, whenever I'm sitting with someone, not just the politics piece, I'm always looking to see what else is possible for that person and seeing the strength in them and inviting and pushing buttons that might make them move beyond the ego. Because anyway, if the ego led, they probably mm. wouldn't want to be coached by me because we're not going to jam. Um, but to see that there is something that's bigger, that's worthwhile. And I just... I didn't own it until that moment because I was like, well, I, I'm not one of those people that want to jump out of a plane or mm-hmm. I don't have that kind of courage. I, I couldn't, you that. know, I've never, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I don't have the firefighter temptation in me, that kind of, that's not the kind of courage I have, but I've quit jobs right. twice. That is very courageous. That is not easy. Not easy. 
So at that point, it just felt like the only choice, like that felt like the obvious thing that that was the step. Mm. So I've moved countries, I've done that kind of courage. But for me, that didn't count because of like well, courage is, you know, jumping out of a plane or walking into a fire or that kind of of courage. And so, yeah, I took this this friend of mine and then I realized how much I do it in my coaching and my friendships and all my relationships and to myself. It takes a special person. Uh, because that, that key word catalyst, I mean, yes, it, most people are going to jump right to the courage word. But for me, it was the catalyst because I know what that means. I, I do a lot of consulting in the uh, the heating and air conditioning business space. Uh, I have a lot of high level companies I work with in that world. And like one of the products this one company makes for indoor air quality specifically uses the word catalyst because it's about installing their technology in the air system and it it catalyzes, it creates that shift from bad air to good air, right? It's a, it's a catalyst and uh, it's a fun buzzword. And I think you used it very, very well there because what, what tied it to me was also a few years back. Again, I love what you're referencing here. Like this was another coach, another mentor of yours. You're now trying to help others do the same. And that person helped you find a word like this to help define how you help other people. And so waves back, back when I was starting to create my own brand, my own business and the podcast, an old colleague of mine or a friend of mine, he's like, hey, he sends me an email out of the blue. And not even a text, it was an email, <laughs> which was, was funny. And he goes, hey, I got a job title for you. I was like, okay. He's like, well, now that you have your own business, he's like, you can just create your own job titles. He's like, uh, he's like you should list yourself as a CEO. And I was like, well, that's not very exciting. And you know, he, he's got a dry sense of humor. And he goes, but redefine it. And I said, okay. Uh, and then he, below that, he has it spelled out, Chief, capital C, you know, E-O, but the E, the center word was different. O was officer. The center word was intrepid. And he mm. capitalized the E in the middle of intrepid instead of the I for like CIO or CEO, but he goes, it's your CEO. He's like, as long as I've known you, he's like, I think this word helps embody who you are and what you've done in your life personally and professionally. So I brought it up quick while you were talking because I haven't looked at it in a while. And Intrepid, the most simplistic definition is resolutely courageous, fearless. Another synonym is brave. And it has stuck with me all these years since. I, I, I put it into all of my content, my paperwork, et cetera. It's like I am the chief Intrepid officer. And I loved it because he knew me for about 10, 15 years. Uh, he inspired me to run my first marathon. I ran my first marathon with him. And I was like, dude, I'm taking that. I am owning that. I will owe you forever for that. And I think that's another wonderful word that aligns with what you're doing too, is because I don't think about the firefighting thing. I think about what you just kind of hinted at is every single person I think has that piece of being able to catalyze something or you know create that catalyst effect or to your point, courage is defined in many, many ways. You don't have to be a former firefighter. You don't have to be a skydiver. Um, like you just said, picking up and moving. I mean, I minored in psychology when I was, you know, I put myself through school. And so many people underestimate the psychological impacts of decisions in their lives. And I think you're definitely honing a lot of that for a lot of people, helping them realize like, oh, oh, that is something that I naturally do and I never did it, realize it before. And that's courageous. Huh, huh. So, I mean, is that something that for you, I don't know, helps you love what you do? Because <laughs> I know if I find somebody who's not just a coach, but they create that shift, right? They just, they say that one, that one little thing where it's like, 
it's always been there and around me, but all of a sudden you helped pull that out and put it right in front of my face. And I was like, oh, I never thought about that before. Yeah. I mean, I think of, um, I think it's in Brené Brown's Vulnerability TED Talk. She talks about um, courage and being, that it's about being wholehearted. And for me, it's like my whole heart is in the coaching. I do not take it for granted 15 years later when people show up and whether they paid or their organization paid, they are giving me a part of themselves, often a part of themselves they didn't plan to give. <laughs> they end up, you know, going to places that maybe they haven't verbalized before or not allowed or not in this way. And I never, ever take that for granted. Mm. And I do not think, first of all, you can do a great job at coaching, but actually at anything when your whole heart isn't in it, when we only get a snippet of you. And it takes, it takes Courage. I think, you know, Brené Brown's vulnerability hangover is such an important <laughs> concept of when you put yourself fully in there and when you speak passionately, whether that is in a meeting, in the boardroom, or whether it's on a podcast, or for that matter, to your spouse, whenever you do that, really, from a place, and, and when it comes from that place, we often don't know what we're saying, because it's coming um like I heard you say like that your wife says when you're really in it, you speak fast. It just mm -hmm. comes, right? And so we don't even know really what's coming. It's just, oh, it, it just flows whoosh yeah. through. And that's afterwards vulnerable. It's like, what did I say? What did I say? Because we feel the rush of energy and we feel the color in our face. And, and until we can sort of go, it was okay. You know, whatever came through was okay and it will be safe no matter what. No matter what the other people's reaction is, it was okay. Mm. Um, but that piece, that, I think takes so much of it. And I think back to, you were mentioning my NLP course, which is a long time ago and was one of the first sort of more professional accreditations I did. And I remember one of the people that studied, so we were doing the basic NLP course and there were people doing the advanced at the same time, the master practitioner. And one of the women that when the master practitioner said, well, I've been told I cannot be a life and leadership coach. So I'm going to drop, drop the life thing and I'm just going to be a leadership coach. Mm. And it's bothered me ever since. I mean, from a marketing point of view, yeah, totally get it. And if someone comes to me and says, hey, I want to talk about my divorce or my crappy childhood, I'll send them to one of my therapist colleagues. But the truth is when they come and they want to talk about how to get the next promotion, how to be a better leader, how to run their business better. We are going to talk about that crappy childhood and and what happened because it's like you're one human. And when people go, oh, well, let's just talk about one part of my life. It's like, no, no, we need the whole you. If you it's want to all. be the very best you can be, we need that whole piece. Why um, do you think that is? Why do? I, it's funny you're, you're hitting on that right now. I just I want to pause on that is – we're always trying to separate these little components out, but to where, where you're going with this for me right here is that like, well, each of those components, yes, it's good to focus or understand each component of yourself. But again, it is all you and they all have kind of my whole point on health, business and lifestyle, right? It's like, yeah, they're all separate domains, but they all get overlapped, integrated and muddied all the time. So we have to be aware of all of them, embrace all of them and learn to understand all of them together. Uh, so, so why do you feel that that's – why you see that? Why do you see that in a lot of leaders? I think one of the problems is we talk about being professional. Mm -hmm. And being professional 
there's one part of it and we could define as, you know, being dedicated to your work, being deliberate, giving it your best, showing up with dignity to whoever you're with, all of that. That's great. The but the, the being professional, <laughs> <laughs> the being professional other pieces, like I'll put on my armor, I'll say the right thing, I'll do the right thing in the right way. I'll only, I won't really show what I really feel and think because it probably isn't safe. I have to do, put on some masks and pretend and be someone I'm not really. The real me probably isn't welcome here. It's a sense that it isn't really safe and I have to be something I'm not. And I think because the world is full of things that can be intimidating and well, the work, I mean, those that worked were people that didn't have enough. That otherwise, you didn't work. I mean, that's historically the thing, right? Why did you work? Because you didn't own, so you had to work. And that's a vulnerable position. And now you got to protect yourself against those that are the owners, those that own, well, they mostly often owned you in some shape or another. And so we're constantly trying to protect all the parts of us. And so the more we put out there, the more there is to manage and keep track of like, oh, did I share that? And now I talked about my wife and what if that's going to be used against me? Mm. And now I talked about my kiddos and now I talked about this and now I talked about that. And that can be so it's sometimes it people feel it's easier, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, it's it pops in my mind right now. What you just hit on it uh, was like when people start lying or they think, right, they think maybe it's not a lie, but okay. I think I have to portray this to my bosses and my leaders if yeah. they're going to advance my career and keep me part of the team, right? Or I'm going to, I have to do these things that I think they need to see. When in reality, they didn't even ask for it, right? But then that becomes a lie, so to speak, right? And then to your point, you were just saying it gets harder and harder to manage all these things. Well, that's why I'm very anti-lie. <laughs> that's one thing. I've only been married for a few years. My wife knows I will never lie because I have already enough stuff on my plate. I don't have time to worry about the distraction of a fib or a lie. I'll just tell you how it is. And <laughs> she goes, well, that's definitely one thing I never have to worry about. <laughs> so I was like, see, awesome husband, awesome husband. She's like, yeah, you just keep telling yourself that. But <laughs> but leaders, it's like, guys, like, when you reach that leadership level, to what you're just saying, there's so much they're already juggling, so much they're already trying to succeed with. Why the facade? Because that sounds even more cumbersome, even more exhausting. Well, but it's also because not just do they tell themselves, many, many people are looking for advice of what it takes to succeed and told what it takes to succeed. And usually it's, you know, you need to be more like Bob or more like Susan. And so then we're like, oh, I need to be more like that. Mm. And I've had clients phone me and say, okay, so to become partner in this firm, I have to be more like these people and i've been told they have to be more like them and i'm like yeah, but wait so they they, are they expecting and... you to coach them and how to become somebody else it, we had a we had a conversation like that <laughs> and and you know that sounds hard surprisingly <laughs> we didn't match right because it was like well so you come from this country these people are all born and bred british they most of them went to you know boarding school fancy boarding school a certain type of mannerisms they've learned sure. and a way of speaking and 
you're successful because you have a southern charm. You have an accent. You're never going to sound like them. Your English is great, but you have an accent. And that's obvious. And that's probably not going to go away given the age you have. And part of what made you successful is your warmth, is your way of doing it. If you try to become like them, everything that makes you great, that is naturally your superpowers, you'll have to wash away and hide and stuff away underneath your pillow. That sounds, first of all, like the saddest thing, but also you'll be an imitation. I mean, that's going to be exhausting. And you're not unique. You're losing. That's what I'm hearing right ah, here. Is that, totally. You know, that gentleman example would be somebody looking to lose. And I, and, and I think this should be worded as a loss, right? Because I think there's a nice psychological, emotional tie to that. A lot of people, when they hear loss or they think of that that type of terminology, it's like, oh my god, I'm losing something out of my life. It's like, fine, great, let's 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 go off of that energy. You're considering losing what makes you unique in the professional world because you want to carbon copy these people and turn yourself into that. Now that becomes a whole extra process to manage, and now we've lost who you truly are, and now you just look like everybody else in the group. So if I was that person's upper level leadership, I'm like, well, well, you're just like. Johnny, Jane, and Joe. So, all right, I'll just get rid of you because you're 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 just like everybody else. I already got three of you. I don't know. That's how I would look at it, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. But this is also where I think lots of people go through an existential crisis. Like, who am I? I don't even know who I am. I don't even know what matters mm. to me. I don't know if. I mean, I know you've gone through different transitions. I don't know if you've ever been into a place where you've gone like, I don't know, even know who am I? Oh yeah, you ever I put that, that in the book. Yeah. I got vulnerable yeah. in my book that I put out last year because I was a corporate guy. I went from farm kid chasing the corporate dreams, thinking this was going to be everything. You know, I'm making more money than my family did, you know, and then I wasn't happy. I wasn't embracing who I was. So then I go and do the drastic shift and give everything up and then go out to Western U.S. and go fight wildfires. Did that for two years, thinking, that, oh, this is what I'm going to do, right? I was lost. I didn't know what I was like, you know what? I'm going to find myself. By putting myself into these crazy, intrepid, you know, courageous things. When in reality, to your point, what we've already started off the show with was I was already doing courageous things. I chose to give up my career. I chose to force myself to get that, that advanced schooling done that I was doing when I was considering leaving it all behind. So I finished that, finished that. That was already courageous. Picking up and fitting my life in a car and moving across the country. That was courageous. But I didn't, th I didn't think about those things. All I thought of was, ooh, one of the most dangerous jobs in the world. Yeah, let's go do that. That sounds exciting. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Though. It was. It was, totally. I mean, it changed my life. I mean, that's why I have fire in my logo and everything else. Like, it's, it's become those two years created so much po positive and negative change in me. And because that's why I talk about in the book, too. It's like I had to, after that, learn to get vulnerable again because I was the tough guy firefighter and I had no ability to connect with a significant other. <laughs> I was like the permanent bachelor. And uh, I even I put the wife in the book. She's, she was not happy with that. Uh, but <laughs> she's like, you don't need to talk about it in your book. I was like, yes, but you're part of my positive transformation. Like you had to, you broke up with me <laughs> before I even proposed to you years later. Cause I had to win you back. And she's like, yeah, but she's a she's you know she's a doctor. She's all science. She's just like I I don't get it. Whatever. She's like nobody better bring bring that up when they're around me. <laughs> I was like, all right, but that was me trying to show her. I'm like I'm willing to be completely transparent, completely vulnerable because I wasn't before, and I saw that 
as an opportunity for growth. So, uh, and it took a lot of conversations with a lot of people along that journey and helped me realize that. But so I wasn't doing it per se from a professional growth standpoint, which is a lot of what I could tell you influence. It was a little bit more on the personal, but obviously my professional blooms even more once you started owning those things personally. So that was just a very short snippet out of the book for you. So <laughs> I don't know if it's, but on, it's yeah, good. It, it's very attractive. I mean, it sounds weird, right? It's very attractive when someone's vulnerable. Assuming I learned that. that they come from it <laughs> depends on where it comes from. So if it comes from a, hey, please feel sorry for me kind of place, then it's usually not real vulnerability. Um, but when it comes from a real raw, actual place, then it's very attractive. And often people will go, oh, we need to do a team building thing or I need this team to gel. And I, I recently had someone um, ask me, you know, so, so what, do, what do I need to do to get the team to work? We, ha we have a day. I may or may not be able to have budget to have you in. Um, what do we need to do? And I said, got to find a way to get the team to be vulnerable and be human together because mm -hmm. the person she was like well we need to plan and we need to strategize and i was like yeah that's great they needed to plan and but strategize that... on getting vulnerable no 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 <laughs> oh. so they need to plan for the following year so that'd be funny to plan too for the following year. <laughs> let me plan out my stage of vulnerability which actually there are probably people wired that way honestly um i'm sure you've met them You're like yeah we're not going to plan this it's called just do it um. <laughs> yeah, no, she's okay being vulnerable. So, so as a leader, she was totally fine with that. But she was like, okay, well, one of the things we need to do is plan the next year and how we're going to do it and how we're going to deliver it together. And I was like, yeah, but until you've been vulnerable together and until you start seeing each other as humans and not just as people who each have jobs mm -hmm. that you kind of just got to get through, until we are there and in it together in some way and we've been human together then the plans are just plans and it's just tasks that we show up and we do our part and that's it and you won't get any of the actual magic that people want in terms of teams and some people love that and when I show up often they're like we're sitting in a circle they're like someone will often say uh-uh this this looks like group therapy or <laughs> an hour in this feels like group therapy I'm like yep you're right you know <laughs> absolutely Sure. Now you've got it. <laughs> so let's it get vulnerable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Actually, I as we're talking about this, I do remember, I mean, this is years ago before Fire, um, one of my one of the last two companies I was with, well, the last big corporate company I was with was, you've, they're all over the world, T-Mobile, big cellular provider under uh, Deutsche Telekom from Germany. But I was there when they came to the U.S. and built their brand and bought up all of the companies I was working for and stuff like that. And I was trying to get into, quote, management. And I've got to say, they were a very forward-thinking company because they said, once I earned the right to be promoted um, and, and got that promotion, they went and stripped us of the title. And they actually took us to Nashville, Tennessee, it was a week-long immersion event uh, with, I'm guessing, coaches, but they were training us to become coaches, not managers. They said, listen, these are people, your people. Uh, I remember going through all kinds of emotional growth exercises and learning how to, maybe not, I don't think the word back then was transparent, but whatever. It was getting to know you, your people as people, like not just, hey, you're not managing a bunch of minions. Like you're going to learn how to target each one of them 
and help each of them grow because each of them are different, right? You know, Susie over here could have two kids and a single mom. Uh, you know, Johnny over here could be in his 50s or 60s, and he's just here to answer phone calls. This was a call center style uh, environment. But it was, a, it was a massive shift for me. I was like, huh, okay. I was chasing these high-level management titles for years, and now I'm, I'm, I'm just a coach. But then throughout that process and the growth, I was like, oh, this is, this is cool. This is different. And it was weird for my employees back then, you know, my team, because my one colleague, I remember to this day, this is back in like 2005, 2006. They were like, this is a, this is a giant HR issue. I remember this quote to this day. It's a giant HR issue. You can't expect people to start talking about their personal lives in a meeting. And I was like, yeah, but everybody's got a different personal life. I was like, well, I'm going to do it. Like that was the exercise. They told us to go back and do that. So I pulled, I had a 30 person team. We all sat around. We did a potluck lunch, kept it up. I was like, hey, everybody bring in your favorite food. And we're going to take an hour out of your schedule and we're just going to hang out. And we went around the room and like, tell me something unique outside of work. And like a lot of people were really uncomfortable. <laughs> they did not want to share that. You probably see this all the time. People are like, I'm sorry, you want me to share my personal life with you? I was like, no, no, no. I mean, just what you're willing to share, you know? And like I told them when I was four years old, my dad told me that I, uh, on a dairy farm, I walked backwards and fell butt first into a rubber bucket of scalding hot water that he used to sterilize the udders of cows. And everybody in the room just shut up and looked at me because they never pictured me as a kid on a farm. They didn't know. And they're like, what? And these, some of these people are from the city. <laughs> so I figured I'd give you a little backstory there because you're like, because my, my, I remember them. They were like, no, you did not. You grew up on a farm. I was like, yeah. You know, manure, animals, dirt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not a lot of money, all of it. <laughs> but it was such an eye opening experience for them because, like, I had to set that example. I had to get vulnerable first and give them the most ridiculous story that half those people never in a million years would have expected. So, uh, so very how powerful. do you get people to that point? How do you get people over that hurdle? Uh, I, I, I'm guessing it takes a lot more work with some versus other. Okay, so different things. One of the things, of course, is if they trust me, that's a good start. Mm -hmm. So working, depending on what the brief is and the budget and therefore what's available, have I had conversations with everyone else beforehand before we meet? That's easier because then I can feel where everyone is at. If I haven't had that, have I at least had a chance to get some questions answered where they're at so I get a feel for how happy they are in the team or not or what underlying dynamics. But then I go for role modeling it. And I go also for trusting that people will want to and that they will go to the level they're ready. And it's funny because we've been so stuck on Zoom for a long time that I forgot some of the things I used to do in the room. But when you were talking also about growing up on a farm, it reminded me of a, of a leader. And I remember sitting in many rooms and I had people draw like, and I'm like, okay, draw a baby now and draw mm. an elephant. And then afterwards, and then they're laughing, and then they get to show their baby. And I'm like, ah, oh, my baby is worse than yours. It's like, okay, now tell me a story, an anecdote from your childhood. And mm. some people talk for a few minutes. Some people say one sentence, and that one sentence tells you so much about them. So they tell a story from their childhood they get to choose. Some people have told stories that I can remember to the day and had my jaw drop, and everyone just go, whoa. Um and then they get to draw elephants and they get to say, okay, so what's an elephant in the room? And so the mm -hmm. fact that you're bringing it in with humor and bringing it in with lightness and 
and it gets to be fun at the same time. It's sort of in a way, I don't know if I sneak in the vulnerability, but it comes in in a way that makes it possible. And the inner child has been out playing and going, oh, I can't draw. Oh, I'm, I figured out. By the way, the trick is to draw the elephant from the back. That's the easiest way to get out of that. Oh, assignment. interesting tip. I'm going to keep that in the back pocket. Start from the it's back. It's very useful to know. Okay. Start from, from the, the butt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I didn't even know that, but I've seen a lot of people now draw elephants. Hmm. <laughs> but it's that piece of how can we not make it a big, scary thing? What's the way in? And then I often go first and I don't go with a rehearsed story. I drop into something that is real and raw for me so that I role model it and so that people feel it because you can feel in a room when someone's being real and vulnerable and then usually someone else is brave and and as soon as one person in the team has gone raw and vulnerable then maybe not everyone but pretty much everyone will go there. It's I would like, agree with that. Okay. Some some move faster than others and there's always going to be that one or two that just wait for the very very last opportunity and then they may still decline because they're very uncomfortable, right? They're not at that point going full circle back to the beginning of the podcast, right? It was like that courage that they need is still not right there yet. They're not ready to jump to make the leap. Um or they're, not, they're afraid to get vulnerable. They're afraid to get real. And it's it's kind of shocking. Only because I've done it so much now, I'm like, oh, okay, I don't care anymore. But I mean, I had to think back. Back years ago, I was a shy guy. And my wife doesn't believe that. She's like, you're almost too outgoing. <laughs> and I said, thank you. I, I take that as a compliment. She's like, it wasn't meant to be a compliment. I was like, I'm just saying, my childhood, I was a shy kid. And then finding a way to get myself out there and more vulnerable so uh i just was lucky enough to do that earlier uh versus later in life so but it still has had to grow and mature throughout life so how do you help leaders understand that when they're already let's say 40 50 years of age they're in their career you know neck deep uh and they think that they've already grown as much as they're going to grow right i mean and Maybe they thought they were already vulnerable, but let's say in your eyes, they're not yet, right? They haven't really gotten that full courageous, you know, shift of transparency. Uh, how do you wake those ones up? Well, they got to have an incentive for it in the first place. Otherwise, yeah. we probably will never have the conversation. So usually it's because they want something more. Maybe they are really successful, but they are feeling like, okay, there's more or... Hmm. Um, you know, not all areas of myself is is how they could be. There's another level. So it's that piece, but it's also, we look at their patterns. For me, I'm curious about patterns. So I'm a trained family constellator, which means I look Constellator as in constellations? Yeah, family Ooh, constellations. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. No, I've not. I'm, I love new buzzwords. <laughs> ah, it's like the most... My It blows my mind still. I went to a, a colleague of mine was running a, an in-person workshop recently and I just went and I was like, wow, like I studied this. I'm qualified in this. This is the coolest thing ever. Yeah. It still blows my mind. What it really is, it, first of all, I mean, there's so many layers to this, but one of the things that is, is I wouldn't sit and just look at you and coach you. When I think of you, I think of, okay, well, the system you're born into. So there's your family system. There is farming community. There is the part of the US you come from, maybe other routes. There is, uh, so for example, if I was coaching while you were at T-Mobile, I'd be curious about 
the organization and the organizational system. So there's all these layers of systems. Mm-hmm. And people's patterns come not from when they started going to work. They don't come from when they start a business. They come from long before. So, for example, I have a lot of clients who might be going, I don't understand. I do so much. And yeah, I have a you know good enough job and title, but I just don't get full appreciation for everything I do. And then when I ask them about their life, usually, mm-hmm. not always, but very often, they then have a pattern of from a very young age taking on more responsibility than was age appropriate. Like they didn't do it because they wanted more responsibility. They usually did it because one it or, it just or both of their parents yeah. weren't, you know, showing up in the way that we needed the okay. adults to do. Yeah. And so they get used to from a young age to take on res- more responsibility. And in that sense, they have great leadership qualities, but that imprint is so deep in them that they end up also very often as they get older taking on a mandate and taking on responsibility that's not officially theirs but they just step in wherever there's a vacuum these kind of people they just step in and they just get on with oh doing i'm totally guilty of that <laughs> i was like i'm trying not to smile i'm like yeah been there done that many times to a fault exactly right and i, I, I now so- nowadays i catch myself uh, because I've also realized that if you're constantly stepping in, and please correct me on this, if you're constantly st- stepping in to fill the void, the, the the possible people or friends that are in that conversation at that time aren't, I'm not allowing them to fully, I guess, embrace that void, right? And, and figure their own way out of it. I'm just trying to be the fixer. And it's like, oh, bite your lip, bite your tongue, bite your lip. Like, let's see how it unfolds. Let's see if they can figure yeah. it out on their own. You know, does that make sense? Um, yeah. Well, I wonder, have you had the experience and afterwards, do you get appreciated or do you not really get appreciated actually for stepping into that I don't that care. I, I, and nowadays I don't you, care. But, but yeah, yeah. earlier on, I'm just like, yeah. I was like, all right, am I trying to be the hero? Is that what it is? Like, is there a hero complex here coming out of this? And because I, unfortunately, thanks to studying psychology, I love doing the whole self-analysis stuff and digging back in and, and like, oh, what does that really mean to that? And like a lot of that happened during the book, actually. But yeah, I think early on, it was like, I liked knowing that I was helping people. And uh, it was actually, it's interesting because I ended up starting a charity when I wrote the book. And I realized I love giving back so much that I wanted to make sure at least the book was I was guaranteed to benefit something that I had control over versus just throwing out donations randomly. So I'm like, you know, I'll just start my own foundation and never planned on doing that. Uh, but that way I can also create a platform that if other people choose to support it, now I'm giving them that ability to give back or do something good because I'm always trying to get people to do more nonprofit or charitable work in their lives. I think it creates wonderful balance um, for people. Uh, so I've realized, okay, I can't save everyone. I can't fix everything. But if I can build platforms or, you know, environments where people can do what I was trying to do, I think that's better. I don't that's know. beautiful. Okay, wonderful. I'm doing something right? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think that's great. <laughs> well, I think that's great that it's a, it's a vehicle. So, so yes, vehicle. just to finish, fin- finish the, the loop beforehand, yes. what often happens when you step in and it wasn't really your mandate, if people ask for help, it's different. Yes. But when you step in into the vacuum, and so an organization, often you end up not being appreciated mm. at all. Why? 
because if they had to thank you for it, they have to acknowledge that maybe they didn't do the job that they were supposed to do. You know, the adults that were supposed to do the job, the people who were supposed to do the job didn't do it. And you have to acknowledge that, hey, we didn't do our job. So you stepped into the vacuum. Mm. And again, sometimes, not always, but with friends, if they don't ask for help, sometimes if you're better knowing or if you step in and fix it again, I would have to say, hey, I wasn't fully capable and you did that for me. If I ask you for help, it has a different energy. Mm. But when we step into the vacuum and the invitation wasn't there, often we're like, hey, I helped. Oh, I went above mm. and beyond like when I really didn't have to. Where's the thanks? So I think it's beautiful that you're putting something else out there. So you kind of, it doesn't have to be about you. Like yeah. it's it's about doing good, but it's not. Like, that was part of the growth. I, I actually I could thank serving as a hotshot. I mean, these were elite. These were the elites of the wildland firefighting world, and you know, they. I don't know if they call them that down in Australia or Germany and other countries, but I know here you're either a smoke jumper or you're a hotshot in the wildlands of firefighting. And the one thing they taught me was humble. They said, "Listen, yeah, you're on a really badass crew, and you're here." to beat the crap out of that mountain fire. And yeah, you're doing this 16 hours a day and you're not sleeping for two weeks. You know, it's crap. It's crappy lifestyle. Um, but we don't go walking into town and praise what we did. You keep your mouth shut. You just, you're, you're just like anybody else. Right. And it was, it was a very interesting, I guess, reawakening for me. Cause I was, I was considered the old guy on the crew. I was thirties. And I'm coming off of a corporate career. You know, I paid my way through school to go back to school on nights and weekends and all this stuff. And when I when they hired me, they're like, we don't care what you did, where you come from, or what your pedigree is. All we care about is put your head down, here's a tool, and dig in the dirt. <laughs> so they they definitely checked you right away. Uh, and they said throughout our the career, they said, you're not here to sing your own praise. All we care about is hard work. He's like, the people that benefit, the, the, the towns, the cities, et cetera, he's like, let them figure out what they want to say and do, but you're not here to toot your own horn and not here to talk about it. So it was a very interesting reawakening. And then I realized I would catch myself to this day that we're talking about right now because I think the firefighter is still in me, but now I like to use it as a tool to help people. If they, if they hire me, right, to your point, if they hire me to put their said fires out, we will figure that out from a sales perspective, a marketing perspective, et cetera. And I use that in some of my branding. But to your point, I should not be inviting myself in and say, you know, you should hire me. I'll put that fire out for you tomorrow. I don't do that. I don't do that. It's like, no, okay, we'll have a conversation. And if you think that I could be your firefighter, cool. Maybe we can do some business together. Um, mm -hmm. So that was, I will say, they, they definitely, uh, what's a fun little music quote? Uh, Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Yeah, they, they definitely taught me to like, okay, slow your roll. Zip your lip. Just just put in some hard work. And oh, and by the way, don't try and save everybody. If they want you to save them, they'll they'll let you know. <laughs> it was very eye opening. <laughs> it, it's so good because also you know as a coach and as a helper, we can get big egos and going. I I helped. I made that happen. And I like in family constellation. There's a sentence that's stuck in my mind about what what we're going for, and it is the smallest possible intervention to create movement again. Mm. So. That is also the courage cat catalyst, right? It's like, I'm not here to fix you. You don't need fixing, but I'm here to remind you of who you are and maybe support some healing in some of the systemic layers where there's some stuckness or some, and maybe you get to keep 
having an annoying boss or you keep having people that you can't trust. It's like, sure. why do you keep having people you can't trust? Probably something to do with your parents that you get to heal. And if we worked on that, it might get softer. Will it go away completely? Maybe not. But if you keep having annoying people around you that disappoint you, who's the common denominator? You. So yeah. we can look at that. But our job, my job as a coach is not to to fix the other person or fix the thing. People are very capable. I have no idea how to do any of the people's jobs who I coach. But it's like to support that little bit of movement to click things into place so that things can flow better. And um, it's beautiful, that piece of the humbleness. I started saying to clients, you're not that important and mm -hmm. you're more powerful than you know. Because I like that. You check them first, and then you yeah. you throw a little something back to the <laughs> yeah, ego. But exactly. like, but you're you're valid here. I mean, it's I love where this show has gone. I mean, we're coming towards the end of our time stop. But I love because right now, as soon as you said that, it brought me back to something you said earlier in the show, which is ego. And uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like us guys are probably worse with the ego than than you ladies. Um, or maybe you, you ladies are just much better at, at hiding it. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I know my wife has like zero ego. It's it's almost frustrating. <laughs> that's why I love her. Uh, but yeah, we're. I think that's a big issue for a lot of us, especially in the professional space. So yeah, ego gets in the way a lot. And if you can catch that sooner, that's a big win. I mean, if it's about you, it's it's a problem. And the thing is, other people's reactions to us is never really about us, yeah. right? It's not about us. It's about what they think we are and it's their thoughts about us. And I keep coming back to, you know, the four agreements, mm -hmm. the... Um, What's his name? Ruiz. I can't remember his full name. Anyway, the book for the four agreements. There's a sentence oh, I've read in it. there. Yeah, something I'm like, blanking on it right now. I'm going to look that up yeah, while saying it. It's like, even if, even if someone shoots you, it isn't personal. <laughs> Which is funny. Uh, yeah, M Miguel Ruiz. Yes. Yes, uh, Don, exactly. Don Miguel, Miguel. Don, Don Miguel Ruiz. Don yes. Miguel Ruiz. Yeah. Yes, book, and that book. sentence, even, even if someone shoots you, it isn't personal. It's like, you're not that important. It isn't about you. It's about people's own stuff. And, hey, wait, you do have loads and loads of power. But if you're going to make it about you, you're going to be annoying and you're going to be insecure, and it's going to be tiring. And if you make it about something bigger, which is why I think like creating platforms, you know, it's like we've got to have, a, what's it really about? Mm. Then we get to be in our power and go like, okay, yes, here's something I could show up for, or someone I can show up for, or a group of beings, or I'll show up for the planet, or whatever. What's, what's, what's it for when we don't know that? Yeah. then it does get very inwards looking. And I don't think that's healthy for anyone, whether it shows up as a, what I would call more an inflated ego or yes. a deflated yes. ego. Either way, it's very self-centered. Because, yeah, if we stereotype the masculine, men tends to be more like in the inflated piece mm -hmm. and women tend to be, be more deflated. But it was also very insular, which like, I don't know if I'm good enough and uh, I don't know if I can do anything. So it, it goes inwards more and that piece is you know, also ends up being all about me. I'm yes. not intending it to be about me, but it ends up being all about me. So either way, it's not helpful, whichever way. I mean, obviously it's better if it accidentally ends up being about you. If, <laughs> as long as you, I mean, if people can't tell you totally tried doing that, you know, and, and expecting it, then yes. But I mean, sometimes it, it can accidentally help, but I agree with your point there. Um, 
which by the way, I, I, I'm just stuck on it too because I love the fact you brought up the four agreements because I heard about it for years and never read the darn book until probably only three years ago. And I can't believe it took me that long to finally get around to adding that into my library because I'm, I just looked it up while you were talking about it. Actually, I'll screen share while we're here because I was going to show your website too anyway but while we bring the show to a close. But yeah, four agreements, practical guide to personal freedom. And mm. it's been, I didn't realize it's in 46 different languages. I mean, Amazing. it's definitely been around the planet. <laughs> 82,000 ratings. Look at yeah, that. Wow. That's, that's a, yeah, actually, look at that, right? I mean, I wish I had that on my book. That's I mean, something. That, that's but something. again, he also, <laughs> this paperback came out in 1997. I, I was, yeah. I was in, I was at the university by then. I was already out of high school. Yeah. So uh, I wish I had the awakening that I have today to find books like this back then. I mean, but you can't change your past. I don't dwell on the patch, um, which by the way, I was going to say screen sharing wise, I loved this from your sites because you had mentioned mm. constellations. Mm. Or, or the, uh, what was the other way you said it, it was you're the constellator? Yeah. I, yeah. So I am yeah. a family constellator. It's family constellations, organizational constellations. It's really the interrelations between all the, the systems we're born into, the systems we show up in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why I was like, I started searching through your site because I'm a buzzword guy. And, and th like I said, you, you had had the courage catalyst. Now we're talking about the constellator, the constellations. I love it. And, uh, and this was just positive feedback that look, Jackie Griffith had given you, uh, the mm -hmm. director of changing conversation. I mean, it's just, it's got to feel good. I mean, where you're at today. I mean, how long, how long you been at this now? 15 years. 15. Actually. Is that all? Okay. Yeah. Gosh, darn it. 15 <laughs> years. It's just time flies by. Um, but can you think back to 15 years ago and would you think that you'd be here, I guess? I mean, it's not even the podcasting thing, but like, oh my God, now you're talking about, hey, NLP was back in the day. Now you get excited about do, doing these family constellations and being a courage catalyst and all of these new ways to give back and impact other people. Uh, and, and by the way, as an entrepreneur, because I remind people that it's okay to, to make money off of what you love to do. I feel I feel like a lot of business professionals have to keep their they're afraid to call themselves a business professional because it's all about money. I'm like, uh, what do you think the definition of an entrepreneur is? It's somebody who takes a problem and finds a way to solve it or fix it for somebody else. <laughs> so I can hire you to if you if you don't like the word fix it, solve it or help help me resolve it, whatever you want to go off of there. But uh, did you think that 15 years would fly by like that and You've, like you said earlier, you've moved from you know, different cities, different countries, different time zones. Uh, it's it's kind of crazy, right? In a good well, way. in some ways, it doesn't feel any different than it did the first time I got my first paid coaching client. Oh, good. I remember hanging okay. up. It was on the phone and I hung up and I was like, wow, that was so much fun. I've done it for free, but that one was paid. It's like, and I get paid. And by the way, I got paid £22.50, which at the way the pound is to the dollar, that's about, you know, £22.50. Mm -hmm. And um, and so nothing. And, you know, I had to figure out how to pay rent in London, which you do not pay for £22.50. No, not going to work there. Yeah, one <laughs> not of the even large, in 2007. One of the, one of the <laughs> densest, most largest cities in the country or in the world. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But I was just over the moon like I really felt like wow this is the most amazing thing in the world and I still feel that 15 years later it feels like such a massive privilege and I hear many coaches going oh I'm burned out I've done so much I'm like please don't ever take coaching away from me no. like it just 
it's so life-giving to me. I wouldn't ever want to be without it. I, I'm sure I'll be like 98. And if I get to live that long and if I'm in a nursing home or wherever, whoever will be in the room next to me or if my great-great-grandchild will come, I will want to coach whoever yeah. will listen to me. Yeah. <laughs> they well, will I, get something. <laughs> I, I, I love the fact that you're still loving what you're doing. You could cl Obviously, it clearly comes across in the, in the podcasting world, both audibly, audibly or video. People are going to watch us in the YouTube world too. Um, but... I will say, like, so again, ladies and gentlemen, I did a little screen share in, in the YouTube world, uh, but obviously her, her site is her name, Naomi Natan Dakan, N double O M I N A T A N dot com. And I will say, just to help you bring the show to the close because you're the co host, now you do target primarily female leadership, correct? Like, I always tell correct. people, you have to niche yourself or niche, whatever way you want to say it, niche, niche people. You can't help everybody. <laughs> so. It'd be wonderful. We all can do that, but you have to find that niche that helps you really feel your power and creates the best uh, benefits for you. So, so I, I obviously your website, you know, align with your female inner power. Um, so even though I'm not a female, uh, I love the podcast <laughs> today. Uh, I know if my wife was looking to grow as a leader uh, in her practice, I could definitely see somebody like you uh, helping her do that. Um, now I will say, usually I like to have my guest co-host bring the show to a close, kind of like an all encompassing thing. And you were just leaving behind a couple of really strong statements about how these 15 years has been. But if you had to sum the show up, if you had to sum you up right now, is there an all encompassing message or like a, le a legacy 15 years of doing this? Here we go. A legacy message that you would want to leave behind for the audience, like from what you've learned or where you're going from here. Wow. I know legacy is a big word. We it's went, like, oh, yeah, man. and we went over so many different topics. I know. Um, I'll just trust what comes, which for me, maybe that is the message, actually trust what comes. I think get out of the way and just ask yourself, how could you show up and have a lot of fun adding a lot of impact? For me, if it feels really hard and clunky and difficult and off, you're probably not at your best. You're probably not having the best impact and the biggest impact you could in the world. And I do think you're here, whatever impact means to you, I do think you're here to do the very most with whatever you were given in the bag of DNA and life experiences and et cetera. And so it's like, how could I have more fun adding more impact today? I think if people ask themselves a question like that every day, really great things would happen. Mm, I like that. More fun, getting more out of each and every day. Actually, the earlier point that really stuck to me was getting out of our own way, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so thank you for those final words. I think that was a wonderful legacy message. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, take those words to heart. Pause, hit, hit rewind, and listen to them again. Those are some great final words for the show. Uh, hang tight. I'll give you a proper goodbye off the air, Naomi. So, ladies and gentlemen, I already said it. Go to our site. Check her out. Look into, if you're looking to grow, not even if you're not in a leadership position yet, I think we all are leading our lives. And a lot of what we discussed today, as I already had no problem telling you, ladies and gentlemen, is that I myself have gone through a lot of this, and this was mostly personal that obviously benefited my professional career. So take a lot of this away from today. This is a great episode. I, I actually go back and listen to all of my shows, and I definitely will be listening to this one because I had a lot of fun. So ladies and gentlemen, remember, we're here to fuel your health, your business, and your lifestyle. You too can live the fuel. Make sure you visit naominatan.com, and we'll talk to you guys again soon. Thank you. Recording 